I wanted uh, to talk to you a little bit about um, something that is some, somewhat a mystery in the Scriptures, and that is the ministry of the Messiah in His second coming. We, we know a little bit about His ministry in His first coming from the Scriptures, and uh, the New Testament is very vivid on what Jesus had been doing here on earth when he came. And um, do I have the clicker? Excellent. Sorry about that. And um, there is a a lot to be learned about details of uh, Jesus' experiences and so on, actually from the Old Testament. Some of the things that we don't even read in the New Testament are actually can be found in the Old Testament. Like, for example, when Jesus was suffering on the cross and his agony is actually described more vividly in the Old Testament than in the New. Just read Psalm 22 and you will, you will have the feel of what Jesus had experienced on the cross. And so it is with, with many aspects, the clarity that the Old Testament together with the New Testament brings is amazing. Now, I wanted uh, to point out uh, a time when Jesus was um, going to a synagogue. And in the synagogue, he was asked to read from the scroll of Isaiah. He opened it and he found it where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at at this point, he closed the scroll and he stepped down. And he said, this has been fulfilled just before your eyes. And it's amazing because, as a matter of fact, the whole chapter of 61 in the book of Isaiah were... Jesus read from is a messianic psalm. It's a recognized messianic psalm, and it's to do with what the Messiah will do when he comes. And, and we can learn a lot from what Jesus had read about the ministry of his first coming. And it summarizes the, in a very beautiful way his ministry when he came in his first coming. And we can also learn about what Jesus didn't read. And what Jesus didn't read actually is still preserved for his second coming. So we will, we will get back to the next part of Isaiah 61 where Jesus stopped and didn't read. And we will then be able to see what he will do when he comes back from that portion of Scripture. But I wanted to give you a lot of background, so you will understand what Jesus is coming to, what will happen when he comes, and what will be the setting to which he will arrive. So, in order to to understand a little bit about the whole background, that will be actually a big part of the sermon today. And uh, just bear with me, there will be a lot of scriptures And um, I hope you will be able to see some of it on the screen. But in any case, it will be great if you can follow up with your Bibles as well. 
So the setting, the foundation of uh, what I'm going to, to talk to you about in regards to the Jewish nation, to Israel, uh, the foundation of it is found in Jeremiah 31, verses 35 to 37. And some of it is there on the screen for you. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. And we have done quite a lot um, of, of uh, rebelling against God as a nation. And God is still dealing with the Jewish nation and for, for the purpose of bringing Israel to repentance and to a national salvation. This is what Romans 11 is telling us. And uh, Paul is very vivid to explain what is, what is going on. So I ask, did they stumble in order that, that, that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will, will their full inclusion mean? For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the expectancy of Paul, that one day all these fulfill, fulfillments will be at hand. So the Jewish people will be grafted back in. And this is the last bit. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. There's um, a joke that um, I heard that goes around. It is funny. It's a funny joke. But it's a sad at the same time. A little Johnny, a young Johnny, comes to Pastor and he says, Pastor, look, I, I don't understand end times. I don't understand anything about it. It doesn't make sense to me. What am I going to do? So Pastor says, don't worry, Johnny. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> it's funny. You can laugh. It is funny. But... But it's a sad joke at the same time. You know why? Because more than one-third of your Bibles contains prophecy. And, uh, you know, if it's a, such a significant portion of the Bible, we can't really ignore it. It's talking about end times, much of it, and, and future events. So it is, it is important for us to understand these aspects. 
Let's continue. A prophetic, a prophetic picture of the Jewish nation at the time of their salvation is found again in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter um, 12 and verse 10. Okay? And uh, it reads, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over the firstborn. So in Jesus' first coming, the Jewish nation have missed the visitation, have missed out on understanding that this is the Messiah we're talking about that, ca- that came and has saved so many sinners. And yet the Jewish people fail to recognize his Messiahship. But there will come a time when the Jewish nation will repent over the fact that they didn't see that, that Jesus was the true Messiah. And one day that repentance will be true and it will really happen. And the question is this. The Jewish people have been under attack all these years uh, since... We can remember, like, so for example, at the time of Pharaoh, when he tried to drown the, 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 male, the male children. At uh, the time of uh, the book of Esther, when Haman was trying to destroy the Jewish people. And this list continues and continues, and the, for the past 2,000 years, this persecution has not stopped. And it actually continued, and, and in a in some ways, have escalated. And uh, I'll just mention, you know, the, the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, the pogroms in Russia, and, uh, of course, you would be more familiar with the Holocaust that happened during World War II. And, uh, and in this... Sorry? And uh, in this way, we, we should be aware that this persecution has not stopped yet. It's still to come. And uh, Jesus actually explained it to us in Matthew chapter 24, and we'll start in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken through the prophet Daniel, standing in a holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get his things out that are in the house. Whoever is on the fi- in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect... 
those days will be cut short. Let me explain a little bit about the, what it's actually talking about. If you notice, the background is Judea. The background is the hills of Israel. And that's where the people were to flee. When they see the abomination that causes desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, some event in the future that has not occurred yet, an abomination that causes desolation standing in Jerusalem in the holy place. And when that event happens, the persecution will begin. And it will be targeting the people that live in the land, in the Holy Land. And uh, if, you, if you are aware of what the words are saying here, sometimes when, the word, when you come across the word elect, and uh, in many cases it does refer to us, believers in Christ, but at times it refers to the chosen people. And, and sometimes it's hard to define um, which people it is referring to. But in this case, you know, you always go to the context. And the context does reveal that it is talking about the people in the land. The flight should not be on the winter and should not be on the Sabbath day. Those, those two are very great obstacles for pe people fleeing in the land of Israel. In the winter, the dry channels of water in the desert are, are filled with gushing waters. It's called a wadi. And uh, those waters are very, very dangerous. They, they can carry away cars and everything else in their pots. When the rain falls on the hills on the top, the water gushing down towards the desert, towards the Dead Sea. Also, the Sabbath is very much respected among the religious people in Israel. And those that would need to flee on the Sabbath day will seldomly do so, especially if the religious, they will stay put. They will not move from their township on the Sabbath day. So it's just a, a little background for you to understand that this is talking about Judea. It's talking about a specific geographical location. So what will happen uh, to the Jewish people in the future? Right? Prior to the Jewish national repentance and salvation, a horrible time is coming. The, Jew the Jewish people will face a time called the labor pains, and it's also called the times of Jacob's trouble. In Jeremiah 30, Verses 6 and 7, it uh, defines it. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, the day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Or you can say he shall be saved as a result of it. And so the time of distress, the time of labor pain, is actually will cause eventually the salvation of Israel. So how is it going to take place? Sadly, out of the whole Jewish population, only one-third will survive and be spiritually revived. And Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 gives us that picture. In the whole land, declares the Lord, 
Two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as, ref- as gold is refined and as, the, as silver is, as gold is tested. They will, be call, they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. And Ezekiel 37 also gives us a picture of the national repentance. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So there is still a national repentance that will take place. When Paul says all Israel will be saved, did he refer to the whole population of the Jewish people today? No, he referred to that third that will go to, through the refining process of the Lord. So the question is, it's a very important question as a matter of fact, why so many times the world has tried to destroy the Jewish people and Saint, Satan is behind it? So the first reason is to diminish God's name and reputation. In Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23, it talks about God's reputation when, when we talk, we're talking about the nations. Let me read. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, to which you, have, you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know, that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That's the first reason. But the second reason is just as important, if not more. And you see, Satan knows that when Jesus comes back, that will be his end. That will, that will be it. So in both times, in both comings, the effort was to prevent the Messiah from coming. And so it is also with his second coming. Why am I saying this? What the Jewish people has to do with his second coming? You may say, okay, I understand the first coming, the Messiah was to be born out of the Jewish people, out of the clan of Judah, out of the loins of David. But then... If you remove the Jewish people from the earth, if there will be no Jewish people, no more, the Messiah would not be born because he had to have a certain lineage, a family tree. Okay, well, what about his second coming? The amazing fact is that the Lord Jesus will return only after the Jews call their king back. And it's in Matthew 23. We read Matthew 24 before. Matthew 23, just a few, just one chapter back. At the end of the chapter, verse, verses 37 to 39. 
And the background is, again, Jesus is talking to Jerusalem, to, inhabit, to the inhabitants, to the people of the land. And he's telling them, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone, those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the Jewish people are expecting to call the king back to rule over them. Now we come to our passage in Isaiah chapter 61, and actually it's the second part of verse 2 until verse 4. And in our passage, you will see the ministry of Jesus to which he will come to the earth. Now remember, Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. He's coming to rule. He's coming to be the king over all the earth. But what will be his immediate, immediate activities? What will he do immediately as soon as he comes? And the first thing we will read after he finished reading what he read in the synagogue, he continues to say, the passage continues to say, And the day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This, uh, my dear friend, is one of the passages that are misused in the Bible. When I say misused, it's misused to talk about something that is different to the background of that passage. And the background of the passage is Jesus is coming back and this is what he's going to do upon his return. So the first point is that Jesus will avenge those that hurt the apple of his eye. And the day of vengeance for our God. As a matter of fact, this vengeance is a protective measure to protect the remainder of his people. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. That is in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3. The Lord will descend, and the first thing that he's going to do is he will fight against those nations that have afflicted the Jewish nation and have come up to Jerusalem to fight against Israel and try to annihilate and to kill all the Jewish people. If there is no more Jewish people, guess what? Who will call their king back? Who will say, welcome is you, comes in the name of the Lord? 
there will be no one left. And also, the vengeance is against the person we call the Antichrist, the one that will lead the charge against the Jewish people at that time. And then the lowest one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Like I say, the day of vengeance. It will be the first thing that the Messiah will do. He will protect his people. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his godly glory sent to me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. But remember, for us, the vengeance is the Lord's. We are not to avenge those who disagree with us and those that hold on to um, all kinds of atrocities. We, we keep the vengeance for our God. Beloved, never avenge yourself, yourselves, but leave, leave, it, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. That's in Romans 12. The Messiah's ministry in his second coming also, he will do something else. And that's probably, you will find, this is the deep passion of the Lord. This is his heart. To comfort all who mourn. Imagine so many weeping and mourning at the time when he comes. Not, not just among the Jewish people, but the devastation will be enormous throughout the whole world. But his focus is in, in Jerusalem. His focus is in the land of Israel. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Why do the people have the faint spirit? Those who mourn in Zion. Why are they in such a despair? What's going on? Well, remember... They've just been through the heaviest persecution ever that ever happened on the face of the earth. That's why they have no, no hope. Nobody was protecting them. And at that time, the Lord will come and protect them. And they need much encouragement, much help, in, and they need comfort. And they need all these things. They need the, the removal of the faint spirit and the oil of gladness because they've been through such devastation. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall com be comforted in, from the Beatitudes. And remember, we all need the Lord's comfort. 
But we can also be God's instruments to comfort others. That's God's heart. That's what He wants to, to minister to people. And guess what? We have to have the same heart. We have to love the things that God loves and hate the things that He hates. The world and the media will tell you the opposite. It will tell you you should hate the things that God loves and you should love the things that God hates. And that's what is being promoted by, by the media, even on the news. You hear it over and over and over again. This is what you need to hate, and this is what you need to love. And sometimes you, you will be, it will be so, so vivid that it's exactly the opposite of what God loves. Remember that we can be instruments to comfort others. And this, is, this passion can be on our hearts. And one thing that you might not be aware of, but the greatest comfort is finding Christ. And so there's a lot of people around us that don't know Christ. And this is the greatest comfort of all. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says the Lord, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 40. This is God's God's heart, he loves his people, and he wants to comfort them. There is yet another ministry, and that is the restoration. Jesus will restore, will restore all things that are broken. When he comes back, there will be such a devastation, such a brokenness, that he will commence in rebuilding he will commence in restoring everything that is broken. But especially, we were talking about the Holy Land. And look what it says. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise, raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. And they will be then restored back as a nation, as a people as well. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. It's from Amos, chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. Again, this is a prophetic vision about God taking the people of Israel back into their land, but this time, never to be uprooted again, never to leave their land again. And that's the final, the restoration of the people. Um, not, not just the restoration of the cities, not just the restoration of geographical locations, but the restoration of the people. 
And as, as in the comforting, we are also about restoration as well. Well, we should be anyway. There are broken people everywhere. Not just outside the church, but in the church. We can point them to the Savior to be restored unto God. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Now that's dealing with weak believers. That's within the church. And how much more outside the church there are broken people and brokenness everywhere. Broken families, broken people, broken fathers, broken mothers, people who are mourning, who lost their dear ones. There is so much we can do um, reflecting on the heart of God, doing that ourselves, having that compassion on people. Jesus is coming back. So the first thing that he will do, he will avenge those that heard the apple of his eye. And then he will be about comforting. To comfort those who are mourning, especially the Jewish people. Jesus will restore Israel and all that is, that is broken around the world. And finally, Jesus will then rule as a king. And his kingdom will never end. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. The disciples have an expectation of their Messiah to restore the kingdom to Israel at that time. But he said, it's not for you to know the times. He didn't say, uh, you got it all wrong. I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. My kingdom is somewhat different. He said, no, it's just not the right time. And then it will be declared when Jesus comes back. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice. And be glad in your hearts, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleansed away your iniquities. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. And this is from the Zephaniah. And this is an amazing prophecy that the people in the land will experience the King of Israel being in their midst in their presence. You shall never again fear evil.
Jesus will be king over Israel and the whole and all the nations, over all the nations. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7. And then in Isaiah chapter 2, there's a beautiful picture of, the, of Jerusalem being the place where people gather. Not just Jewish people, but all the nations. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Again, this is a beautiful picture of his kingship, not, over, not only over Israel, not only over Jerusalem, but over the entire nations all around the world. Now, if we're expecting Jesus to come back and to establish his kingdom and to be king over Israel, over the nations, what about here and now? Is Jesus ruling our lives? Do we submit to his lordship? Is he the one that calls the shots? Or do we do our decisions ourselves? We have to think about these things and see where we stand with the Lord. We may, we may have experienced the Lord in our lives. But maybe along the way, we took the control into our own hands. And we decide things. And we are not submitting to His Lordship. But if Jesus is King over all the earth, and this is what He's going to do, surely He's our King too. Surely we can submit to His Lordship and, and declare Him King over our lives the one that decides, the one that shows us this is where you ought to go, this is what you ought to do. And we, are, we have to submit. We have to do what the Lord is calling us. So those are important reminders. The vengeance is the Lord's. We are not to avenge. And as a matter of fact, we have to come in the opposite spirit. Somebody hurts us. We are to overcome evil with good, not overcome evil with evil. We all need the Lord's comfort. And we can all be instruments to be used by the Lord to comfort others. It is so, so important. And like I said, the greatest comfort is the Lord Himself. Finding the Lord is the greatest joy. 
that I have ever experienced in my life. And I think it will be probably the reality for everyone. There are broken people out there. They are everywhere. They are in the church. They are outside of the church. There are people who are mourning, who lost loved ones, who are lonely. So how about being instruments of mending, of restoration, restoring people back to God? I'm talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about weak believers. And we are all weak in one form or another. And we all know that deep in our hearts that we need the Lord and we need others. That's why we have this fellowship. That's why we, we need each other. We need one another to have this, the heart of the Lord in mending, in mending those who are broken with a gentle and meek spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you that at this time we can think about the things you love and the things you care about. We can look into the scriptures and see the very things you are going to do when you return. Lord, we pray that we will be ready for your coming, that we will go about the things you love, that we will love the things you love, and we will hate the things you hate. Help us to have this gentle and loving heart to comfort, to restore, and leave the vengeance to you. Lord, we, we want to be your children. We want to be subjects of your kingdom. Help us to be subjects already now in preparation for the coming kingdom. Lord, we are not worthy of your kindness. And yet, you have shown us mercy. Help us to show mercy to others. And gives us the desires of your heart. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.